understanding what do I want to gain in this situation, in, in this meeting? What is my goal at the end? What do I want to have achieved? This is so much more important when you're doing it online um, than when you are in just a room because it's it's more more it's it's easier to just circumvent everything and get lost um, when you're online because you get distracted even more nobody's there sometimes you don't even see faces um, you don't see behaviors you just go and go on talking and um, it's worse so all the things that you normally do you have to do even more prepared and more more um, down to the point and that was a good un understanding to find out you have to have the same rules even maybe one or two more and really have somebody who who drives these roles in meetings Hello everyone, welcome to your brand new podcast called In Your Shoes. This podcast is for you to learn more about new people and professions from around the world. I would like to take you on a journey to understand the life and times of a new person every two weeks and get a chance to get into their shoes to learn what they do, why they do and how they do it. On the show today, I have Frank, who is an agile coach and a former colleague of mine. In my past interactions with Frank, I've always loved uh, his interactions with people, uh, the need to make things clear and organize uh, discussions to make it productive. I really enjoy that aspect of Frank. And that's why I'm so excited to have Frank uh, on the podcast today. So welcome to the podcast, Frank. Hi, Vivek. So nice to hear you again. Um, it's been a while, so it's very, very nice. And um, hi, everyone uh, out there. I'm Frank, 46 and still alive. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Um, so it, it, it has really been a while. Uh, so maybe for those out there, um, I'm going to share a little bit um, about me. Yeah. So I grew up uh, and studied physics in Kiel. That's in North Germany. Um, and I rushed over here to Berlin uh, in 2005 and built up my small, lovely family. And um, so my professional life is mostly I've, I've been working in several companies and, and really a lot of roles, mostly um, coming from a call center um, because I didn't find a, a job here in Berlin as physicist. physicist. And um, then I... Uh, became product owner, um, scrum master, and all a few very nice roles, and slowly turned into an agile coach. And uh, currently, I'm working at Mr. Specs since uh, 2019. And uh, I also do some consulting as a freelancer when the topic is interesting, or uh, being a pro bono coach for coaching for communities just recently. Wow. So quite a journey in, in very different roles and it came very organically. Wow, that's very interesting. Uh, uh, I would love to first understand from physics to agile coach. <laughs> yeah. uh, what made that transition happen? 
And to be very honest, I was very happy to um, finish my physics uh, studies and have nothing to do with this anymore because I found out that I'd like to talk more with people and work with people than being somewhere in in uh, experimenting away in, in a cellar or something like, like that. So I, I found out that uh, it wasn't the wisest choice, but um, it, it helped me to um, go into problems in a very organized way. I think this is the thing that that I learned as being um, a physicist, starting organized, go through a problem and don't be scared on the problem. I think this is what, what I learned the most. And I didn't like all the theory, um, physics stuff. It wasn't, it wasn't my stuff at the end. So um, I started really as a, as, a, as a job next to my uh, flat here, there was a call center um, from a web hoster. And I just started there because I didn't have a job and I don't, didn't want to go to um, um, get some money from, from yeah, state authority or something like that, right? So I, I just started there and slowly, I, I, within a half a year, I was mentor, team lead, then project manager. I just got there stuck in that um, very nice uh, company and... Um, slowly got the hang of working with people and also like diving into a software development, which kind of is still where I'm here now, um, but never as a coder. So of course I can do my website, um, but that wasn't really the thing that I enjoyed the most. Um, but really I, I found out at first finding out what a product is and uh, how to deal with product management. That was the first thing that I really liked um, because then you have also this, this customer interaction. And um, that was really nice, um, understanding why I build this product, for what I make this product. That was cool. Um, then working with teams on making this, bringing this product live, that was also amazing. But, and then this, this turn just, just happened. I found out that working with people is amazing. <laughs> and um, the product in itself just went a little bit out of my focus. And uh, I wanted to understand um, what makes teams work together nicely and neatly and of course it's individuals right and individuals need care and this is where we met right um and, uh, Zalando with with people leads or practice leads at the end where we really deep dived into how to make uh, how to give people the best possibility to grow how to help them and that was amazing. And uh, with all the, the, the things, because I, I was practice lead for producers, which is kind of scrum masters, right? Mm. Um, I, I got so many input from all over Zalando at that time. Um, what works, what doesn't work. You know how it was. I think I had 26 producers at my time for 
a year. So 26 different locations within our company. That was overwhelming. Um, I think at the end um, of the job, I had like just 16 because I could make small teams out of them and uh, let them go on their own um, way. That was quite nice. Um, but at, when I had 16, I could really dive into their behaviors, into their teams, into their departments. And as this role changed again, you know how it is, uh, our lovely Zed, um, it, it changed for me um, to understand more how departments work together and the people within, right? So I started to be a, an agile coach and that was two years at Zalando and now one year here at Mr. Spex, um, really finding out how teams, how departments work and that you need to, yeah, find out how, how to remove bottlenecks, how to um, make them come together and not just talk, but really finding out, okay, this is what you want to achieve. Now, how can you achieve it in this, this small hour that you sit together? Mm -hmm. um, and as you know, the, these huge meetings that we have um, with OKRs and so on, how to make that effective and uh, efficient as well, right? So that, that was really, really amazing to understand. And how, how do teams from other departments work together? And that is still something that I'm, I'm very happy to be in um, because it, it's, it's amazing to see people work together and find out, ah, oh, this is what we want to achieve together and then do it. Yeah. <laughs> it's <a> long story. <laughs> oh, that's, a, that's really very valuable. So Frank, I want to just get right to this. Uh, so as part of your current profession as an agile coach at Mr. Specs, uh, walk us through what this role is, and especially for people who may not understand agile coaching in general, uh, uh, the aspects around it, how would you explain them uh, what is your role in, in Mr. Specs? Uh, I, I think this is um, already quite interesting because I think this role, Agile Coach, is even for my profession very hard to understand. And everybody kind of defines it maybe a little bit differently. Uh, so let me define it my way. So I help teams and departments to collaborate and work together in efficient and effective ways. Um, it's more common to know that role of a scrum master, which is very much focused on a team or two teams to make them um, do the best they can in a, in a software development uh, framework called uh, Scrum. And an agile coach or agility coach, as I like to call myself, is more reduced from all the um, frameworks, so lose from all these frameworks and not fixed on a team, but tries to have an overview of everything. 
So from my perspective, an agile coach is a different evolution of a scrum master. Or you can call me a nanny of an organization. It fits as well. All right. You mentioned collaboration uh, mm. quite a bit when you were explaining about your role. From the view of an agile coach, uh, mm. how does that role enable and promote collaboration within teams? Mm. Um so first of all, it's about people's dynamics. Um, how do they interact together? It is about um, processes. So finding out um, checkpoints, when to talk, how to talk, about what they have to talk. Having agendas in meetings <laughs> is a very small thing, but uh, something that everybody's lacking. And of course, purpose of a meeting. And um, then understanding how to visualize the work of a team. This is the very first thing that you do. Always visualize something because if you visualize something, you can start seeing um, what is happening and where bottlenecks mm -hmm. appear. And this is the starting point of a journey on improving slowly, step by step, um, how the interactions between a team, between teams, between organizational parts work. Um, this is where it all starts. Uh, you define collaboration as working with people, have identifying the dynamics of people, like when to have discussions and having agendas of meeting and especially visualizing the work of a team, which is really interesting. So uh, if you if you as an agile coach, we're working for a kind of a mid to large organization, uh, obviously you would not want uh, the particular teams that you work with get too dependent uh, or over-dependent, as I call it, on one individual who's an agile coach. So how do you ensure that uh, there is some sense of self-sustaining process around collaboration, yeah. which does not get like uh, dependent upon an individual like an agile coach, but rather it's it becomes a part of the organizational system? Hmm. So very first, um, it, I think... If you would nail it down to a percentage of uh, prof, um, of output a team could do, when you have somebody like me in a team, right? Because I'm a headcount, and I'm even overhead, right? Because I'm not I'm, I'm I'm not contributing to anything a team really is doing because I'm just there for the interactions. But it is possible that when you are in a team, you get the entire team more professional and more, um, you get around 25% more outcome, output maybe even uh, from a team um, when you have somebody in there like me. So, um, and that already counts quite a lot. And uh, so this is 
something that if, if you're coming from a business perspective, you want the teams to be more proficient, you want them to work better together, but of course it needs to pay out. So you need one person um, to make them come better. It needs, there needs to be some substance. So this mm. is one thing you always have to keep in mind, I'm overhead. But 25% of more outcome is tremendously, if it counts to, um, to a, an organization. And it even sums up when you um, are possible in a possible situation where you can have effect of many teams and finding mm. out organizational stuff. So this is, first of all, very important to understand that, of course, you have to deliver to the business at, as, um, as itself, right? Scrum masters, as I said, are more linked to a team. Agile coaches can't do that because they have a higher uh, height uh, where they are working. And for me, exactly, I have this problem. Um, I have like I eight teams that I'm working with and I can't be there for them. And whatever I'm doing, wherever I'm dipping in, um, of course, I can't be there to sustain a habit which takes months. So what I need to do is finding out, as I like to say, scaling options for myself. And what I do to make myself not a bottleneck, which is mm -hmm. a problem, of course, is that I enable others to do what I can do, to give them a possibility to understand, hey, this is why you should do it, and this is how you can do it. And I train them doing it. Let me give you an example. So uh, software development teams normally like to do, um, after an iteration, um, a retrospective to look back, to find out, hey, this is what we um, did good. We want to sustain this, make it a habit, do it again. Or huh, this doesn't didn't work out so fine. So how can we improve ourselves? So this is an, a normal part of their work together as software development teams. And um, if you think about me now, I have eight teams and eight times a retrospectives after, in my case, now two weeks is um, sometimes a juggling of hmm, impossibility to be in every retrospective at the same time, right? So, um, of course, you can try to schedule, but then again, maybe I'm not there because something else is more important. So how can I find make this retrospective still happen? And there are two possibilities. I take somebody in the team, train them up and say, hey, this is how you can run this retrospective um, so that I'm not a bottleneck anymore. This is one way to do it. But it still feels bad if somebody in the team is doing a retrospective. Mm. And um, because, of course, they want to contribute to their team and also give mm. their insights of what went good and what went not so good. True. 
So what I'd like to do, and I started it also in um, at Zalando at my time, is having a pool of moderators. This is what we did as agile coaches to find out, hey, this is a pool of, of individuals that can run retrospectives and rotate through every team um, that is needing of a moderator at that time. So it, it has it is such a beautiful thing if you have teams that are normally working together um, switching their moderators and doing the retrospectives of, of the other teams on different levels because first of all the person who's doing the moderation understands suddenly what is happening in the other teams and hey the problems of that team are very very similar to the ones that he's experiencing in his team. So there's kind of empathy going on. And even more, right. when they are working together, you find out, ah, these are the problems we as our team are um, inflicting on that team. So this is a, mostly a win-win situation. And by enabling four or five people they can rotate, they can do the work for themselves and I'm not a bottleneck anymore. Whoops, I'm out. Right. Right. That That's actually really nicely put. Uh, thank you, Frank, for sharing that. I, I really liked how you framed this into scaling um, the capabilities that you want uh, to, to kind of promote in an organization through Agile Coaching. Uh, I want to circle back to perhaps what you were you were mentioning just briefly before this question around impact, and I really like that topic because obviously it's yeah. really controversial as well. Uh, how do you see uh, as an as an agile coach? Uh, uh, how would organizations? Uh, how should organizations measure uh, the impact of having an agile coach uh, in them? I think it is always problematic um, because the very first thing that I normally do when I'm going into an organization, a unit, whatever, a team, I have to analyze first what is happening because normally they don't know how bad they are or how good. Let's put it that way. Sometimes they are extremely good and I don't need to do anything. That's cool. But they don't have a measurement. They don't have transparency on how good they are. And not having this basic uh, data, it's very hard to, after that, uh, say, hey, I made this kind of impact. <sighs> That's tough. So all that I can do is start measuring or making the ground to start measure, then measure, and after that have an impact on uh, understanding on what my impact was. But of course, a team, you could say, learns from itself and would have been maybe the same um, way improved on themselves. It could be, yes, of course. Um, so I can never even ever say this is what 
my impact was um, being 100% sure because I don't know what the data was before I was there. Right. So you have something like a baseline on which then you can identify. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. So what I can do and what, what uh, I always like to do when I start working is I set myself goals and I align these goals with um, the management. And I say, okay, um, if I'm there, how would you measure what, what would be a success for you in the next six months? What would be a goal that you have by hiring me? And that, that's quite interesting for me because then I find out what, what is, is it that they value? What is it that I need to work for in that teams? And it puts me off the, um, um, out of the way of defining my own goals because I do it for the business. I, I, I'm there to make the business run nicer. I'm not there to be a feel-good manager or something like that. So, of course, I do that. Um, but that's, that's um, how I do my job and not, not why I do my job. So I give the management the possibility to set myself, my goals and I give them a possibility to say, okay, this is how I would do it, what my intentions would be, um, to pay into that one, mm. into their goals. And then, of course, we find out together measurements how you can measure then that I reached that goal. So it's like an OKR process, you could call it like that, right? You find out a situation that you want to be in, define how you could measure that you're in this uh, situation. And this is mostly what I would propose when you're an agile coach how to measure your success and um because everything else is just oh yeah i did this i did this I did right this. it's a task list that you do you want to reach a situation where the business is more successful and the things that you can do to impact it so it's a different kind of talk than oh yeah how impactful have you been because my work is through people with people and not I'm, I'm not doing roadmaps I'm not doing concepts of a product or something like that um, and even product managers they don't do it do the work in itself of course they have the ideas the concept in mind but the real work belongs to the developers who bringing this life so it's also a little bit like indirect work. For me, even more because, as I said, I'm working with people. So for me, if you measure an impact of an agile coach, find out what he want, needs to do. So find the goal, how to measure it with the senior management at best. Right. Very wonderfully put. Thanks, uh, Frank, for sharing that. So I want to get to your day um so yeah. like what is uh how does it look like a particular or a typical day if you have a typical day 
um, in your day-to-day work, in your life as an Agile coach? Hmm. Ah, that, in, in, good question. <laughs> so um, normally I work like in waves. As, as I said, um, I'm mostly working with the um, IT teams. So they have a cadence, as I like to call it. So a rhythm of meetings that are reoccurring, which I'm where I'm helping. So the retrospectives, the demo meeting, maybe some somewhere in between also with the um, replenishment or grooming sessions, whatever. So there are set meetings where I could attend and help them um, if I'm not scaling myself, which is on a two weeks cadence. Okay, so I run retrospectives every two weeks and then I'm quite busy. Um, But then there are times when I'm not in these rhythms and I have to find out what I have to do, right? Um, So there are ways, waves of being neatly put into time schedules and where I'm externally driven also okay our um, workshops right so it's at the end of the quarter there's always a lot to do um, in between it's not so much so I have to find out where how can I contribute and make um, myself helpful and um, then it's for me finding out needs of the organization. So I see, especially in in Corona times, I had to find out, okay, how can we transfer the habits of our behaviors online? Mm. Um, So I had to make concepts and understand um, how to work with um, with our collaboration tool that we are using. Um, so the software, how to uh, collaborate here and how, how to make online meetings efficient and um, effective as, as well. So that the, these ideas I had to, of course, try to uh, conceptualize and then communicate and train people how to use our collaboration software and so on. So um, suddenly I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm busy again Hmm. and I have to schedule myself. So I normally I see, okay, this, these are the behaviors of, of a a department of uh, an entire organization. And, I find myself focus areas where to work on. It's always transparency. It is always priority. It's always communication. And um, you have to be deeply set into an organizational structure to understand how the interactions are. And... um, so I can't really tell you what my day is because I normally don't know it. Mm. <laughs> and uh, of course, I'm also there for one-on-one coachings. Mm. So I have my dailies with the leads and help them to um, do partly my work, to be honest, of course. So how to, how to, how to enable their teams. But yes, this is leadership. It is 
how do I structure my team? So I want to enable the leads to know exactly what I'm doing. So this is definitely something that happens always. And also the product managers, I'm, I'm, I'm quite, quite happy about that, um, sometimes come to me and ask me, okay, how, how can I run this session with my stakeholders uh, to gather requirements uh, on my product? Or how, how would you... How would you do that, Frank? And well, then I'm helping them either just by giving ideas, um, also on concepts, giving feedback on what I think. Um, so I'm I'm there to give feedback, and and they just grab me when I'm I have a time, and I just give them the feedback that they need. Mm. So I can't really say this is my day because mm. it changes. Mm. Sometimes it's hard set and sometimes um, I have time to think about and analyze. I like the emphasis on working in waves. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I think that rightly uh, captures uh, the the periodic nature of, of your role as you explained it here. All right. I want to touch upon something interesting that you mentioned here, especially in this post-COVID world. Uh, you'd mentioned about how you think about how do you transform the habits and make it kind of uh, available online in this post-COVID yeah. world. So could you share a little bit of what you have uh, learned, uh, especially to enable collaboration in, an, in a remote environment? And how do you, what do you do uh, to enable that transformation? Yeah, <laughs> uh, these COVID times were quite crazy. I Before, I would have never said that my profession, my job would be possible to be um, run in a remote environment because for me, it was always, we have to be co-located. This is the best way, the best interactions. This You need this social closeness to see what is happening and also... Um, find out the, the, the behaviors that are not verbally, but also on, on uh, gestures and so on. Yeah, and, and I was wrong. It, it still works. <laughs> and that was quite funny to understand. I, I'm even some, uh, more busy than before, <laughs> which is kind of strange, but I, I like it. So, um, hmm. A meeting normally, um, a normal meeting you can do easy online, right? So you have um, always one person who should be uh, more or less having the hat on. So you should either moderate or drive the topic forward. This is normally the organizer, right? Mm. Um, and that is easily transferable. Um, of course, you have to find out, okay, how do we deal with interactions within that meeting? So all those habits that you normally have or don't have in meetings by, okay, I have, um, I have some, something to say and raising a hand, who does that? Yeah. Online, it is so much more important that you exactly do that because otherwise it's this 
meeting is total chaos. And also neatly time box topics. Understanding what do I want to gain in this situation, in, in this meeting? What is my goal at the end? What do I want to have achieved? This is so much more important when you're doing it online um, than when you are in just a room because it's it's more more it's it's easier to just circumvent everything and get lost yeah um, when you're online because you get distracted even more nobody's there sometimes you don't even see faces um, you don't see behaviors you just go and go on talking and um, it's worse so all the things that you normally do, you have to do even more prepared and more, more um, down to the point. Hmm. And that was a good un understanding to find out you have to have the same rules, even maybe one or two more, and really have somebody who, who drives these roles in meetings. Hmm. And also these interactions that you normally have in teams, you have a daily, you have several meetings, you maybe have um, yeah, a, a big demo meeting at the end, how to do, do that. Um, it's really, it's the effectiveness um, is one thing, but these, these time boxing, this, okay, we're out, let's, let's take this topic, uh, it's nice, Let's have a follow-up meeting there. Um, do we really have to be all together in this um, uh, in this call right now? Who's really needed? All these things that we normally do, they have to be there as well, of course, when you're online. Yeah. And um, for some teams who were, oh, and that's I, I have to tell this, I had um, a very nice team that is extremely socially connected and they really love to work together and they had a hard time going um, into a, yeah, a road remote setup and they find out, uh, said to themselves, okay, we have, we have this meeting and that meeting where we still come together and we have like um, a coffee five minutes breaks together and just chat and we're going to have remote lunch together and we're going to have uh, at the evening we still meet and so on. So they really set themselves so many meetings mm. as they would normally have uh, just in a remote environment. And after two weeks time, when we did uh, the retrospective, they were totally exhausted. And said, oh, <laughs> holy moly, I don't get away from my laptop anymore. Yeah. I like these sessions. I like to talk with you guys, but it's driving me nuts. I, yeah. There are days when I don't even move my feet out of the door, whatever, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so they overdid it. Um, but they recognized and they steered against it. Yeah. And um, so sometimes you can do too much. But I, I saw that it is possible to keep up these social interactions. And that was a nice thing to witness. For other teams, um, where already some mm, externals were working together, um, where the social interaction wasn't that nice and not so close, 
but more on a professional level, I saw it was very much helpful to have two check-ins or one check-in and a check-out at the end. Hmm. So have a closer um, frame than just the check-in every morning. Hmm. Um, because then you can calibrate easier, uh, right. calibrate easier, sorry, what right. is happening. So f each team had different dynamics, how to deal with um, finding focus and steering again to the most important thing they have to do. And that was quite interesting to see. And also to, to run experiments with the teams, how to do that. And um, also one thing, normally what I like to do when running OKR workshops, objectives and key results, um, we have them at Mr. Specs on a company level. Um, and normally I like to put a lot of people in a room talking together, defining for themselves goals and the key results, how to measure the goals. And uh, well, that doesn't work online anymore. Mm. So um, we had to find out, me and my colleague, how to virtualize that, how to digitalize this. And we're working with um, with uh, Google Jamboards. I love that stuff. Uh, so digital whiteboards um, to capture ideas, uh, but also with breakout sessions as well. So um, that you, you have sessions where you are all together. Hmm. Then you say, okay, uh, for this topic, go into this uh, remote um, breakout session and this and this and this. Hmm. And uh, then me and my colleague, we just split up and try to jump into each of these sessions one by one and uh, try to help them to um, be effective in their breakout session. But then we come back together and um, present what happened in those breakout sessions. And so we can get, gather feedback again and so on. So um, the dynamics are similar to the ones um, in the real world. You just have to transfer them into uh, a remote way of talking, working and find out how to do this best. And I found out if they don't prepare, it's even worse in a remote um, meeting in a remote session than it is when they are in a big group um, in one room. It's right. even worse. It, if you are not prepared, the session will not go right because right. it's, and this is something that is not so nice in, in remote ideation. Mm. Ideation is so much about talking with each other, with something like like interacting with each other and um, since just one person can talk and and uh, nobody is perfect at drawing as good as the, the their colleagues sometimes it, it's not an option to just have a whiteboard and draw and talk and whatever it just doesn't work so nicely it can work of course 
It does, but it's it's harder than when you meet together because these small interactions, these gestures, they are just missing. And right. um, so ideation is harder online and in big crowds so hard that I don't want to do it. <laughs> um, really, it's... Uh, it's for for many people it's very very frustrating to do ideation online yeah so um i do it with a subset to start already something and then we have something to discuss and that gives and inspires the others an idea um and a possibility to come up with own ideas afterwards and maybe in that session to put one or two more ideas that they feel are important into that session. So you have a substance of, of ideas you can discuss, maybe add some more, but then it's way more focused. And this is something that I found out being prepared is even more vital than before. Time boxing is even more vital than before. Right. So what you're saying is the transformation is not just um, taking what works in an offline, in-person environment and putting it online, but rather uh, thinking about and making sure that there is a sense of balance. So mm -hmm. it's not like having too many meetings in a day. Uh, and you also emphasized on having uh, a better prepared session Yes. Uh, and, uh, and anything that has uh, element of ideation and brainstorming, it's usually difficult to do it in a, in a remote setting. Yeah, at least for, for many people, I wouldn't do it any, anymore. I tried it a few times. I failed a few times. <laughs> and failing is good, right? Yeah. This is where, where you get the best um, input from. So indeed, iterating on what works in the real world, not always is transferable um, but when you have a gold nugget in you can iterate to get it better and this is what you need to do i think the very first online okr sessions i did they they were horrible <laughs> because i tried to do it exactly like i do it in, in real life right and it just failed tremendously it was a waste of time and and the next session was already better so this, this iterative approach that we in software really love and have in our, in our uh, DNA is even more important. And you have to, to get feedback fast on what happened in that session even more than you have it in, um, in real life because in real life you see what their faces always. Yes. You don't have it in, in not always in uh, remote. So it's even more vital to stick what you know and what what you normally would um, suggest also to do. Get feedback, improve, find out ways how to make it better, right? So th this is even more important than before. So doing Slack here is not an option. Mm. Being unprepared is not an option. Mm. <laughs> um, so this is, in a way, it, it makes also, it, it makes it nicer. If everybody's prepared, suddenly it just rushes by and we're done. We have meetings that normally take way longer being done in half time. 
because everybody's prepared. We can talk about decisions. And then it's that. That's cool. That's way more effective. Agree. I want to take a segue, uh, Frank, at this stage. Um, every profession and job has its own share of stereotypes attached to it, right? The perceptions, which sometimes are not right and sometimes may be true in some sense. From your view uh, of an agile coach uh, so far in your experience, what are the stereotypes that you are aware of? The stereotypes that I see is that we are trapped in being a retrospective moderator or something like that. Oh, he's the he's facilitator. He'll, he'll just do that. But it's more to that. Um, and just rushing from one meeting to the next, one rate to the next. I am too expensive to just be a moderator in sessions, in small team meetings or whatever. I'm too, too expensive for that. Why should I always do that? This is where, where I like to have a rotation, get it to the team members that they also can do that. So for me, it's enabling them. If an agile coach puts him, him or herself into a situation where she is and he's a, a bottleneck, he's they are the only ones doing it, then they failed. And I see it often that they just run the retros and when they are not there, then suddenly it doesn't happen. So this trap of always rushing from one meeting to the next one is a mistake. Also, Oh, we, 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 we love to optimize. We love to um, uh, get processes perfect. And um, we stick to, to frameworks like Scrum. It always has to be a secure sprint. And being tied up in, in these values and, and principles of one framework. And forget about where well, there's more to it. Um, there are principles that are beyond that. There are there beyond that framework that we're using. And hey, man, it's 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 totally fine if you have um, a, a sprint that you can change the topics in between. If the business needs a different story to be worked on, why wait two weeks? It's, it's, it's damaging. What you need to do is have a discussion. Okay, you, you want something more important. That's fine. We need something that we committed on to get out so that we have a discussion. If you put something in, something else needs to de be deprioritized. That's the discussion I like to have. Not, no, this is a secure sprint and uh, you can buy, come back in two weeks' time and so on, so on, so on, right? So it is that there don't stick to the framework just because the framework tells you. The framework is there to enable your team. It is there to enable the business and, and not just because of the framework not doing agile because of agile we are there to achieve the best outcome and sometimes that means yeah okay you're 
you don't uh, stick to the scrum rules, that's fine then. As long as it's not hurting, that's totally okay. And um, as I said, we like to over-optimize at times. Um, you can lovely locally optimize a team, two teams, but then fail in the overall um, organizational setup of the department. That's like if, 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 you, if you do the best engine, a Formula One engine, and it, it's so powerful and it works, and it's in a Trabi or in a VW Beetle. So it doesn't work, right? So if, if the environment is neglected, and the mis and and um, you don't look outside of your team, then you fail again. Individuals are set up in a team, so they have not only their own boundaries, but they are spun up in the boundaries of the entire team. A team is hung up in a department, and it is limited by how the department is working. And this is why I say a Scrum Master is good for a team. It's a starting point. But then you need to look outside. And we, when you do this and you are um, looking outside of your, your, your small little area, then you get into system thinking, into systematics, uh, uh, and, into behaviors. And this is where an Agile can, uh, coach slowly transfers because you're looking into the system. And you're trying to understand um, how the behaviors from outside become the behaviors inside. And um, this is a trap that we normally have, just a too small um, uh, view. And of course, if, if I talk with you as a lead um, about the mechanics in your team, that's okay. But if I talk to a VP ahead on the behaviors of a team and that I do retrospectives and so on, hey, come on, that's, this is, they want to understand the outcome. They have, want to have, they have a different language. And this is also something that I had to learn the hard way that I have to address upper management in a way different language. I don't talk about story points, throughput, whatever. I talk about outcome. I talk about um, transparency, <laughs> something like that. Information flow, and and not hey, this is the process, and here's the demo. So it, it's it's a way different level that you approach people, and this is sometimes very good to consider again to ground yourself to who am I talking, for whom am I doing that, not be in your small little system but um, look outside. I think these, were, these are at least the stereotypes that I know of. <laughs> <laughs> Most probably there are more, way more than that, but uh, I think that's already enough. But this, is, this has been insightful. Uh, thank you for sharing this, uh, Frank. We are almost at the end of our conversation, but I don't want to uh, leave uh, this session without 
talking about uh, your suggestion to someone who may be uh, interested in getting into the same profession. So where do you think they should start, uh, what they should study, and more prominently, what experiences you would like them to have? Mm. I had a lot of people who wanted to try to come into this profession. And um, let me get this straight. It is a leadership position. It is a lateral leadership position because you tell other people how to behave, how to work. It is even a crutch for the leadership because they are doing leadership work. This is what leaders normally need to do analyze team behaviors and make it better. So um, starting from scratch, it is very hard to get into this, um, into this role. And I find um, certificates quite lacking. I had a lot of um, interviews with people who had like really a lot of knowledge on on frameworks, on certificates that they gained. But then I, I, I came up with very basic questions um, on behaviors that they had to change in their teams, and I saw them already failing. It is, unfortunately, a job that needs experience to be able to do it able to understand how team mechanics work. So of course you can do a scrum master training, you can do um, uh, certificates on system thinking, which is good, behaviors and so on. Um, the real starting point is at your work, where you are right now, when you're working in your team. Think about how can I come up with ideas how to make this um, team work better. Be the driver of your team next to your lead. Start really implementing or making them more focused. And this is where, where these Scrum Master trainings definitely come quite handy. But um, it is the starting point is in your team and um, finding out how they can, how you can gain their trust, how you can make them become better next to your own work. If you, this is the real starting point, I think. And this is everywhere where, where you can start also outside of software. I, I saw so many very great people um, not being in software. It, this is not a software um, only job, I would say. So there are cool books you can should read, like Five Dysfunctions of a Team by Patrick uh, Dencioni, I think he's called. Getting Things Done for Self-Management is also something very nice. Um, but the, the Five Dysfunctions of a Team give you very nice insight how you can transfer your team to become better. And this Getting Things Done helps you for the interactions with for yourself and to help others to be more um, pragmatic in approaching things and self-organized. So these two things are very, very, very um, basic to start in. And then slowly evolve yourself. You can, 
I found it very hard to start your career with being a Scrum Master. You don't start as a lead. You start as a team member. And then you slowly head into this direction. Those who organically became Scrum Masters, I found were the best ones and those more experienced. The other ones are doing it by the book and don't know why. Mm. I'm sorry to say that. For me, it's really ex an experience thing. And you get better by the, the years. Maybe this is because I'm old and I want to say that. But <laughs> I want to justify myself. But I think this is, this is what I saw. What I just can say. You can do certificates. I don't, I just have one certificate as a product owner even, uh, not even a scrum master. Um, and I had a, a very amazing um, certificate from last, so large scrum. Um, but that's all. And I'm still a senior agile coach running with senior management going around. So it's, it's, it's really, I, I don't think And I'm sorry for saying that for, for the uh, certificate industry. I don't think you need really a certificate. It comes while you work with a team. And if you see that you are the nanny of a team, um, then you are on, on the way to it, but you have to, um, to be more focused and not being the servant of a team. Um, <laughs> Uh, but it starts being the nanny of a team. That's totally right. It starts with that. And then you slowly become a lateral leadership position within your team, gain knowledge, and it's not a, a job that you can do in in a half year's time and then you become senior or something like that. It, it just comes over time. But it's rewarding because you work with people. Right. Yeah. Thank you so much, Frank. I think it was very insightful, uh, very stimulating as well. Thank you. And I, I think this is this has been amazing uh, to bring you here on the on the session today. And uh, I think this will be a fantastic session and fantastic podcast episode. Really appreciate you being willing to open up and also share so deeply and so wisely on different topics. Thank you so much, Vivek, for giving me this opportunity to talk about myself and, and the profession that I really love. Um, thank you so much, Vivek. It was a pleasure being here on your show. For people who would like to reach out to you in case they have questions, what would be the right channel for them? Mm -hmm. um, so I'm on LinkedIn. That's one of the easiest way to do. Um, LinkedIn.com. Dot, uh, slash in slash Frank Evert uh, F R A N K E W E R T um, Berlin. That normally you will find me there. You should be able, and that's that's perfect then. Thank you for joining this podcast. I hope this was useful and you learned a lot. For more such great podcasts. Please do not forget to subscribe to the podcast channel In Your Shoes on SoundCloud, Spotify, and Apple Music. New podcasts are uploaded every two weeks. Goodbye.